Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. This week we continue our study in the Gospel according to John. We're in John chapter 7 with a message from Pastor Joel, Rivers of Living Water. I'm excited to bring uh, John 7 to you. So if you have a Bible, you could open to John uh, chapter 7. It's in the New Testament, so if you go two-thirds of your way through the Bible, you'll hit Matthew, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So then John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 says this, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And if you skip down to verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, if anyone thirsts, if anyone is longing for, for something more, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We'll stop right there. Let me pray. Lord, as we uh, come to this day, it is a, a monumental day, and uh, we've just come off the first week of school for many, and then school starting for uh, others this next week, and Lord, there's a lot on our plate. Uh, there's a lot of burdens that people are carrying for family and friends, uh, work situations, and Lord, I pray that as we work through this passage today that you would bring us hope. Lord, that the things that we're carrying, that we could turn them over to you. And Lord, that we would see your salvation right at hand. That through you, there's always hope. So Lord, pray that you'd open our eyes, we could see. Lord, open our ears so we could hear what you'd have for us this morning. Soften our hearts so that you would draw us to yourself, Lord. That we would know you better this morning and love you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you see in the, the first, those two uh, sets of verses, this chapter takes place at the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. In Hebrew, it's Sukkot, the, the Feast of Booths. And if you're sitting here this morning, you've been in church, and you might be like, what's the Feast of Booths? I don't really remember what that is. If you've never been in church and you're like, what in the world is the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles? Well, I want to I stop and explain a little bit before uh, we even uh, get into this chapter. What is the Feast of Booths? Because you're probably not alone. There, there are three main boot, or festivals in uh, Jewish life. There's three like huge ones, like the big holidays that they, that they have. Uh, there's Passover, which most of you probably, that's probably the one you know the most about. Uh, the, the Passover. Uh, then the next one, which you probably have heard or know a little bit uh, more, uh, more about, is the, the Pentecost. 
It's the Feast of uh, First Fruits. So they'd have this harvest and the first fruits that they would have. It's linked to a number of other things uh, as well, the, uh, the Pentecost. So Passover and Pentecost. The third holiday is the Feast of, of Booths, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Sukkot. Uh, and as we uh, go into this chapter, uh, I want to give you a backdrop of what the Feast of Booths is. And the reason I want to do that is because then as we read the chapter and what's going on, my hope is that some lights start going off and connections are being made because that's what Jesus wants you to see. He wants you to see this connection of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Feast of Booths. That when Jesus on that last and greatest day goes, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, that that would have new meaning and new power and authority in your life because of the Feast of Booths and what that entails and what that means and how that drives us to Jesus. That you'll see that this is an invitation by Jesus for hope, for life, for redemption. So what's the Feast of Booths? Well, it's first mentioned in the book of Leviticus, your favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus 23 and verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying on the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. Uh, it relates present day, uh, they're, they'll celebrate it in October. I think it's the 9th through the 16th of this year. Uh, it's the Feast of Booths, it's the, connected to the final harvest uh, of everything. It's a celebration that they would celebrate every fall. Uh, it'd be a lot like our Thanksgiving, at, at least comparable to our Thanksgiving, only this was like a week-long festival with, with lots of traditions and rituals in this week-long celebration. So we have that Thanksgiving one day, and you might think of uh, turkey, uh, football. We talk about pilgrims, see pilgrim's hat. But the Jews, they had some different traditions and rituals for the Feast of Booths. If you go on in that chapter in Leviticus 23, uh, down to verse 42, it says this, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generation may know that I have made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. They're supposed to dwell in in booths or tents or tabernacles, these makeshift things. So what they would do, they would actually go outside of their house and they would build these little structures. And for the whole week, they would live and eat and sleep in those structures. Uh, Think of it like if you had in your neighborhood, if you did a huge backyard camping party. This is a huge community uh, building event as people are just out and you're talking with people. And it's all centered around uh, this one thing. You're supposed to remember when for 40 years the people of Israel uh, lived in tents. They weren't, they weren't home yet. They weren't at the promised land yet. And how God directed and guided them those 40 years in the wilderness when they didn't have a home, that God was, was moving and directing and leading them to the promised land, all through the, the wilderness. Now, there are other traditions that they would do as well. So this, this whole week marked with living outside. Can you imagine the kids? They probably just loved it, being outside, living in these makeshift like tents. But there's other traditions as well. Every morning, you would see this parade of priests that would go from the Temple Mount, and they would make their way all the way down uh, the stairs through the city, down to the Pool of Siloam. 
Now, the pool of Siloam was considerably further down, and it came from this, this spring and then gathered into this, into this pool. And, and the priest would go, and they would take this golden pitcher, and there would be a parade that would go down. And they'd go down to the pool. It would take about 10, 15 minutes to get down there. They'd dip the golden cup into the pool, and then they would bring this golden cup back up to the temple, up the stairs, up the hill, up the mountain of the Lord. Of the Lord, and as they were going along uh, in Leviticus, it tells us what their people were supposed to be, be doing. They had these uh, palm trees and palm leaves that they would—not trees, just the leaves—that they would be sw- waving over them. And as they were going up, parading around to the temple and then to the the altar, finally they would be singing the Hallel songs. Now, the Hallel songs are also connected to the Passover as well. It's a, it's a section of Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118. Psalm 113 to 118. If you, if you ever want to uh, get a backdrop of what the, the music and the meaning and, and just the deep roots of uh, both the Feast of Booths and the Passover, and read Psalm 113 to 118, uh, and you'll, you'll hear the music that they were uh, hearing that day and what, what the message was. It's very powerful. Well, as the priest would go up, there would be one priest with this golden, this golden cup uh, with the, the water that they had gotten from the pool, and they would be joined by another priest at the altar, and there would be these uh, like silver uh, bowls. Now, some of this is, is tradition that came along after uh, the writing of the Torah, uh, and so there's lots of different, you might have, if you've read about it, you might have read some, there's a, lots of different perspectives, well, because it, it spanned hundreds and hundreds of, of years. Uh, but most, most of the commentaries that I read, they'd have these two uh, bowls set out, and the person would, uh, priest would pour the, the water out in one, and then this other person would pour a bowl out with uh, the drink offering, the wine. And, and they would pour the, the wine out in the, this other bowl, and these, waters, uh, these bowls would, would catch the, the water and the, the wine being poured out. And you're like, that's a really random... Ritual, right? Uh, well, if you think about it, the Feast of Booths was to commemorate the 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness that they wandered around and how God led and provided for them. So the pouring out of water onto this, like, it's supposed to be this altar, these, this rock area, was, was supposed to remind them of the times that God actually brought water for them in the wilderness out of rock. When they were dying of thirst, God provided life for them. And so the pouring out of this water was then supposed to be a, 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 re, a reminder uh, of that. You know, it actually happens twice. Uh, once in Exodus 17 and another time in Numbers 20. But let me just paint a picture for you of what the thing that they're supposed to be remembering as they pour out this water on the altar. When we say dying of thirst, it's not like a second grader who's dying of thirst at recess to his teacher. Uh, Right, Michelle? <laughs> you probably, I'm dying of thirst. Well, that's not quite the same thing that they're remembering. When they were dying of thirst in the wilderness, God provided water, living water for, for, for life. So let me, let me try and take you to that scene of what they're, what they're remembering. Uh, in Exodus, they've just been freed uh, from slavery. Uh, they had one night to pack up their stuff and get out of town quick. Uh, so they packed up whatever they could carry, and they began uh, to move out of town. The Lord was, was moving and uh, working. But they moved from a place that their family had lived for 400 years. It's all they'd ever known. 
That night, I'm sure, with the kids, they're like, grab what you can. We can only take what we can carry along or in this little, little cart. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And then they get to the Red Sea and that whole thing happens. And, and if you were a parent, which I am, could you imagine trying to explain this to your little kids? Why, where are we going? What are we doing? God has talked to Moses and he's leading us out. We just, we're going to trust and just go with him. We're just going to trust and go. Okay, Mom, God's leading us to, to freedom. Well, uh, as they're going out and God does some miracle works, Moses uh, is actually led by the Lord to this area called uh, Rephidim. Rephidim is a wilderness area. And I'm sure as a parent, as you're unpacking your tent and trying to set things up, you're looking around in this area of Rephidim and you're going, there's nothing here. Like there's nothing here. Uh, where are we going to get water from? There's nothing. And so you set everything up, and the kids are like, so this is, are this where we're going? Well, this is where we're going for tonight. I don't, know where, where, I don't know where we're going. We're just moving like inch by inch, because all you can look around and see is like two million people that are now refugees looking for a new home. And you're just among them. And your kids go out and play and are running around, jumping off rocks, doing flips like parkour back in that day. It's crazy. And they come home and they're like, I'm tired and I'm thirsty. And you're like, well, here, take a, take a, just take a sip of this. Take a, just a sip of this water. And you put it back on and I'm, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Yeah, that's just it for today. Like, just, we just got to be wise about this. And then a couple days goes by, and that pitcher that you had given water to your kids to is, is dry. There's nothing. There's nothing in the family next to you and in their tent, and your kids go out and play, and they come back home, and they're like, I'm thirsty. And you're like, we got nothing. So panic starts happening. You know, like a panic, like in a pandemic when there's no toilet paper. <laughs> Except this is no water. And I think if there's no water, I think the closest thing that I can relate it to is being somewhere in the middle of central Oregon or on Mount Hood, and you're, you're on empty, and the, the car is going to run out of gas, and you're like, there's a gas station up there, and you get up to the gas station, and it's closed, and you're like, it's 36 miles to Sandy, and I am below empty, and that feeling of like, what am I going to do, right? Well, that's just, that's just running out of Gas. Can you imagine that with water? There is no water. So the people, they start grumbling and complaining. We got to do something. We got to do something now. So they go to Moses, and the whole thing is centered on Moses. You led us here. Did you lead us here to die? Do you want to kill all of us in this way? Is this what you're doing, Moses? We need water, and we need it now. I mean, maybe I can wait for another day or two, but my daughter is at home, and she's got a splitting headache, and now she says she can't see she needs water, and we need it now, Moses. That's the feeling we're supposed to remember as they pour out the, the water on that day. Because God instructs Moses, now I want you to go over to this rock. This rock where I'm standing, like God standing on a rock. And, and then you're supposed to take your staff that you've been using, and I want you to, to hit and strike the rock. And then from that rock will come out abundance of living water that you'll be able to uh, give to the people and they will live. 
that they go and see this water from a rock and they have hope again. When, when all hope seems gone, when there was nothing more that they could do, at just the right time, from such an unlikely source, they were saved. And they received the water for a long time. And then when they head out again in Numbers uh, 20, just a couple days in, and they start going, we need water and we need it now. They say like three days, right? It's a pretty short, short lease as they go out again and, Lord, give us, uh, give us water now. And again, it's another story, but water comes from the rock. Now that's the Feast of Booths. As you're living in tabernacles, remembering that story, and every day they have this ritual ceremony of the pouring out of, of water, that God provided water for us in the desert. And as we turn back to our text today, we're going to see that no matter how hopeless the situation seems, no matter how deserted and barren your circumstances are, there is always hope through Christ. Through Christ, there is hope. And you may not see it. You may not even recognize it. You may be in a time where you're like, I need him to act now, and he's not, and you're like having to wait. But the message this morning is that through Christ, there is hope. There is hope. So what I want to do is I want to read John 7 now. We're just going to read actually to, to verse 39 and, and stop there. And then I want to make three observations about the hope we have in Christ, okay? So John 7, it's a little bit longer, but the story itself is just, uh, it, it's, it's just packed. So let me read John 7, starting in verse 1, and then we'll make three observations about the hope in Christ. John 7, 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time its always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that it works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. He, he wasn't deceiving them. I don't think Jesus wanted the fan publicity of everyone on that time. There's, there was a certain timing that was going on. Verse 11, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. 
Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answers, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered him, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath the man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temples, You know me. You know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not believe. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Well, now the Pharisees, they heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officials, officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. God bless the reading of his word. I want to make three observations about our hope we have in Jesus. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write it down. I'll do all three this time. Number one, God works at just the right time. God always works at just the right time. Over and over and over again in Scripture, you see how God's timing is perfect. It's never late. It's never early. He does everything according to this sovereign, perfect plan. He's got the big picture of all of life. And so as he moves and works, he's working on a much different timeline than you and I are. And how often it is that that lines up with our timeline. It's, it's so often that, that God's, even though God's timing is best, it rarely lines up with ours. And we're like, Lord, why aren't you moving? Now's the time. Why don't you rescue and redeem now? That's what Jesus' brothers think. Well, come on, if you really are Jesus, I mean, if you really are the, the Christ, the Messiah that's to come and you want to do this, now's the time. Go down to Jerusalem. Show everyone your signs. And when Jesus doesn't, I think they're like, yeah, we didn't think so. God's, Jesus' timeline doesn't match up with, with theirs, and they're like, yeah, it, you, maybe you're not even God. Maybe you don't have power to do it. 
He doesn't go, and, and as God's timeline doesn't match up with ours, we, then we doubt. Well, maybe he can't move. But Jesus responds to his brothers, and he says, you, you, can, you, can just, you just do whatever you want, because you, get, you really have a timeline. You, you just go wherever you want, but I have a timeline. I, I'm following my Father's sovereign plan. And so Jesus says, now's not the time. I'm not fully time yet. And, and basically, he's asking his disciples, or these brothers, you, you just need to wait. You need to be patient. At the right time, Jesus will reveal himself. At the perfect time. And God's bigger plan in mind. Now, Peter, he picks up on this and he says this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, we want God to hurry up and move and work. And God's like, no, I have a bigger plan that's playing out here. Romans 5, 6, Paul kind of echoes the same thing. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And we have lots of questions why that time is the right time. And I think God would just tell us because I've got the big picture. I've got a sovereign plan that is playing out. And you don't know it, so just trust me. But I will always work at just the right time. Now, you might be here this morning wondering, well, where is God at now? I mean, if I look at my situation and my family and my job situation and my friend's situation, why isn't the Lord working now? Now is the time to move and act. God, respond, please. And God just says, wait, trust me. His time is always perfect. He tells Abraham, you're going to have a son, but he needs you to wait. He tells David, you're going to be king. But you just have to wait. Uh, this waiting on the Lord and His timing, God is always working, uh, and His timing is always the best. So I think we can learn from a prayer of even David. In Psalm 27, 14, it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Because I think David knows, like all the other people that have lived before us, that God's timing is perfect. He works at just the right time. Here's observation number two. Number two, God works where we least expect it. God works where we least expect it. You know, in the wilderness, as they are running out of water, they're looking around this wilderness of Rephidim, and all they see is dirt and rocks. That's it. There's no hope in that place. I mean, maybe even if there was like a cactus that they could like cut and squeeze the juice out of, maybe that would give them a little bit of hope. But rocks and dirt, this is impossible. And then God uses a rock. He doesn't use a tree or a branch or even a bird to bring a little bucket of water. He, he uses a rock. And what do you think? I mean, if you were in Moses' position and the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that staff that you have. It's, it's a piece of wood that's breakable. You can break a piece of wood, even if it's big. I want you to take that breakable piece of wood. I want you to go to this rock that is unmovable and unbreakable. And I want you to take the breakable thing and I want you to strike the unbreakable, immovable thing, and from that's going to flow 
rivers of living water. What was, what was Moses thinking? This seems backwards to me. I, I did, and then he strikes the rock and water comes out. And I bet everyone there is like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and now Jesus' day. They're waiting for the king, the Messiah, someone to save them. And, and they look around and go, mm, not Jesus. He's like, he's just like a humble carpenter. He's got, he's got no degree. He's never even been to school. He's not leading any army. In fact, one guy's probably going, yeah, he's like a, this uh, construction guy who worked on my uncle's house last summer. Not Jesus. How, how could he use Jesus, this, this humble servant of God, this nobody, how could Jesus be the instrument to bring salvation? Well, if God can use a rock to bring forth water for the people dying of thirst, as they looked out into the wilderness after they saw the water come from uh, the rock, I- I'm sure their circumstances changed a little bit. There's rocks everywhere. There's an opportunity God can use to bring salvation to the people everywhere. It's all around. Whatever situation you're in, I'm going to tell you this morning, don't give up. Because God can use the most unlikely of things, of of people, of of situations, of, uh, of even like material things to bring you and call people and redeem you and sanctify you. And move. When you look around and go, there's no hope for this area. And God goes, oh, I got rocks all over the place. I can, I can work and move in places you least expect it. God works where we least expect it. So don't give up hope. That's number two. Number three is this. God works salvation through the cross of Christ. God works salvation through the cross of Christ. On that final day, the day where they were pouring out this water and the wine as this ceremony is like we've done this again and again and again and Jesus announces up there at the temple, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For, for like out of within this belly, this innard uh, is going to flow rivers of living water. You see, at just the right time from an unlikely source, Jesus pronounces life. See, with the Feast of Booths as the background, and with this ritual of this uh, water pouring out, Jesus actually places him, himself in the story of the Exodus, in the place of the rock. Uh, I, I am that rock. I am that unmovable, unshakable thing that's going to be struck by the breakable, and from me is going to pour out rivers of living water. Those rivers of living water that if you come and drink from me are going to give you connected to the source that you can give to other people. As soon as you move away from that rock, you are no longer part of the living water. That stream of living water has been cut off. So stay close to that rock where the living water is. Stay close to that river of living water so that through you, that river can go out to others. Paul connects the same thing as well. In 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all 
ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The rock that was struck and living water came out for the salvation of people dying of thirst. Jesus says, that's a picture of me. That rock that followed them. Do you see that? How many rocks do you have following you? The rock that followed them. So at the moment when they needed it, it wasn't far away. Salvation was right there. When they were dying of thirst in the wilderness of Rephidim, the rock was right there with them. In Numbers, later on, when they were dying of thirst, the rock was right there with them. In their moment of despair, even when they look out and go, there's no hope in this place. It's desolate in despair. God goes, no, there's always hope. Well, the prophets uh, have this whole theme. And, and actually, you can find it in the Proverbs and the Psalms as well, uh, connecting this uh, water to the, the spirit that was to come. There's these images of the new heavens and the new earth, that there's going to be this river of living water that's throwing through it, that's feeding everything and giving fruit uh, to all the trees. Ezekiel talks about this uh, river that's flowing from the temple that uh, is living water in it. It's living water. It's water that you don't work for, but you simply come and receive. See, living water is this idea. It has to be connected to the original source, and it couldn't be worked for. As soon as you worked for that water, it was dead water, and it was no longer living because you disconnected it from the original, original source. Jesus says, if you come to me and drink, you'll have rivers of living water. You'll be connected to the source, and you don't have to work for it. It's water that refreshes, that brings life, that brings fruit in your life. So John, I think he goes one step further even. as he uh, The book, the Gospel according to John is just beautiful as it's written in this like uh, circular pattern where you see themes and over and over you see these themes building and, and growing. And, and he gets to the end and we're at the cross of Christ and, and, and Jesus, like John, like, uh, he takes this image of the rock and the water and the wine and the blood, and he puts it all together. In John 19, 34, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Uh, I think John is picking up on these themes, this blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins, that purifies and cleanses you. This water that pours out that gives life and fruit and refreshment. So the message this morning is that no matter where you are this morning, there's hope in Jesus. You might be saying, I've been waiting for him for a long time. And Jesus would say, yeah, because I've been waiting for you to come to me. Just come. If you come to me, I will give you rivers of living water. So are you thirsty? Are you longing for purpose and meaning? Are you, do you want to just be forgiven and made whole? Are you just tired of going down from the temple down to the river, dipping it out, and then you come up empty again, and so you do your next ritual, and you're just like, I'm just tired. I'm just empty. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and be refreshed. Come to me and be made whole. Let's pray. Lord, as we, uh, we do, we come to a gathering of your people, and we want to 
uh, be involved and engaged. Um, but Lord, there's so much on our plates, and there's so many rituals and traditions in every season that we, that we go in, and, and we're looking for uh, meaning and longing and forgiveness and hope in our situations. And Lord, would you, uh, would you allow each one of us to have that personal connection with you, that personal relationship with you, that if anyone is thirsty this morning, they're just tired. They're tired of doing really good things and just being empty. They're tired of trying to uh, carry those weight, just like Scott talked about, carrying those burdens all on their own. Lord, would would we all come to you? And as we come to these uh, songs of, of worship, Lord, I pray that we would be able to come and drink from you, receive your salvation through the death of your son and his resurrection. Lord, we would be able to unload our burdens on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Church.